Well, this morning in our time of encouragement, the time of ignorance is over. Now, I need to, I need to explain that. I, I think that the teaching ministry that Jesus passed along uh, to Paul, who we're going to look at today, is a, is a ministry of building up, not tearing down. And so you could misunderstand that. The time of ignorance is over, you dummy. I mean, that would be kind of a way of, like, knocking you down, like, oh, gosh. So this is not about how much of the Bible I know. This is not about how much, how much of the ancient disciplines I know. It's not about how much of church history I know. It's not about how many of the rules of the Christian faith in America. It's not about, it's not about knowledge, the time of ignorance is over is a phrase that Paul is going to use as he talks to Athenians. And we're going to discover that in a moment. But he's talking about the time of not knowing God personally is over. The time of not knowing God personally is over because God has entered into human history in order to make himself accessible to relationship. As much as I'm moving towards Ashley, I'm going to cross into the zone, you know, this is the God that we have discovered in the New Testament. At times, he was far away and up a step. But by golly, by the end of the New Testament, that God that we're reading about in history, he has definitely moved towards each one of us. That's exactly right. Way to go. That, 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 that's exa- he, 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 he keeps moving so that he says that the time of not knowing me is over. I've made myself known to humanity. And that's what we're going to that's what we're going to talk about. So we're in Athens, and Athens is a beautiful city with lots of history. At the time of Paul, the Olympian gods were the main gods of ancient Greece after overthrowing their ancestors, the Titans. The Olympian gods became the rulers of the world, the cosmos representing the civilization of the world. The Olympian gods majestically and democratically dwelled on Mount Olympus, the highest mountain in Greece, built by the Cyclops, and the leader of the Olympian gods was Zeus. Now, you probably know all of that because the, this, isn't this what the movies have all about? And haven't there been like the Titans? Have you noticed how kind of the return of the Greek gods has kind of shown up in the movie theater? Kind of interesting. The gods were born and grew just like human beings. Some of them even married. However, they were unaging and death never came to them. They lived inside human-like bodies with an ethereal fluid called ichor running through the veins. They had passions and human weaknesses and were many times at fault. But they were then obligated to take the full responsibility of their actions. God's made mistakes. Greek gods made mistakes. Greek myths always refer to the 12 gods of Mount Olympus. But actually, 
In total, there are more Olympian gods in Greek mythology. However, there was never more than 12 at a time. So some of those gods, you'll, I mean, look at that list. The Greek gods include, I mean, who, I mean give, us, give us a hint. Aphrodite, she's the goddess of, how'd you know that? Just life. Apollo. Athena. Guess what Athens, what goddess was Athens named after? Athena. And she's the goddess of? Wisdom. So there's the 12 at time. There's a couple more that were added. Now, in the midst of Athens, there were, there were all kinds of shrines and temples to all of these gods. And then there was an altar that we're going to, again, we're going to discover that as we read in Acts today. But there was an altar to the unknown god. It's not this altar. This is an altar that was found in Rome. But it would have been something like this. So within Greek and Roman mythology, there was an altar to the unknown god. We know these Olympian gods. We know them by name. We know them by their character. But there's also, there's something we're kind of, that we think there's an unknown god. And Paul is going to show up at a place called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Uh, Mars, Eris, the god of war. So this is his shrine. So Paul is going to, he's going to show up by invitation to this place where both N.T. Wright and F.F. F. Bruce Wright, Athens, may have been interested in new ideas, but divinities from elsewhere could easily get you into trouble, serious trouble, especially if someone proclaiming them was starting a secret society with mysteries only open to the initiatives. So Paul is actually being invited to come to Mars Hill Areopagus, to present what he's been talking about on the streets in a way that those that are kind of watching over the education of Athens could check him out and make sure he's not introducing a destructive religion. F.F. Bruce in Roman times, it was the most important governmental body in Athens. Among its many functions was that of supervising education. So they're supervising the education, even of the itinerant preachers like Paul that wandered into the agora, the marketplace, and began to talk about different gods, particularly controlling those visiting lecturers. Now I'd like to, in the context of Paul being in Athens, in the context of there's lots of gods There's lots of shrines, there's lots of temples, there's altars. There's this altar to the unknown God. Paul is walking around the town. Paul is having conversation. Uh, Paul is now invited to speak to this governmental body because they're curious enough to what is he talking about. We want to make sure he's a good lecturer. Uh, We want to make sure that he's not inviting people into a secret cult. want to remind us that he's there because God invited him to be there. And he had a vision back in Asia Minor, come over to Macedonia and help us. So there's some way that God knew that the people of Athens needed help. And he sent Paul and Silas and Timothy to help. So as we read this paragraph, Acts 17, 22 and 34, remember there is a God 
who knows that the people of Athens need help. And he's sending Paul and Timothy and Silas with a message to help. Paul got to his feet in the middle of their council, the Areopagus, and he began. Gentlemen of Athens, my own eyes tell me that you are in all respects an extremely religious people. For as I made my way here and looked at your shrines, I noticed one altar, one of a number in Athens, on which were inscribed the words, To God the Unknown. It is this God whom you're worshiping in ignorance that I'm here to proclaim to you. God, who made the world and all that is in it, being Lord of both heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he ministered to by human hands, as though he had need of anything, seeing that he is the one who gives to all men life and breath and everything else from one, from one he has created every race of men to live over the face of the whole earth. He has determined the times of their existence and the limits of their habitation so that they might search for God in the hope that they might feel for him and find him. Yes, even though he's not far from any one of us, indeed, it is in him that we live and move and have our being. Some of your own poets have endorsed this in the words, for we are indeed his children, his offspring. If then we are the children of God, we ought to not imagine God in terms of gold or silver or stone contrived by human art of imagination. Nor while it is true, now while it is true that God has overlooked the days of ignorance, he has now commanded all men everywhere to repent because of the gift of his son Jesus. For he has fixed the day on which he will judge the whole world in justice by the standard of a man whom he has appointed. That this is so, he has guaranteed to all men by raising this man from the dead. When the audience heard Paul talk about the resurrection from the dead, some of them mocked scorned, scoffed, laughed, and left. <laughs> Others said, interesting, we should, we'd, like to, we'd like to hear you speak on this subject again. And then others did in fact join him and accept the faith. They believed, including Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman by the name of Damaris, and some others as well. Paul, as he walked around Athens, he knew Jesus. How did he know Jesus? He knew Jesus because Jesus showed up and introduced himself after his resurrection when Paul was going down the road towards Damascus. When Paul was going down the road toward Damascus to arrest Jews that were following Jesus, in the midst of him terrorizing others, Jesus stopped him and said, Hey, 
I want you to know me. You're fighting against me. And I want you to know me. And that absolutely undid Paul. It changed the whole course of his life. And because of that relationship, he's now in Athens. And as Paul is walking around Athens, initially by himself, he's really agitated. He's irritated. His spirit is really burdened because he's looking at a city that's very religious and yet people do not know God. People have a form of religion. He says, you're really religious. He says that in a way that is not condemning. He says that in a way that's really saying, it's good that you're seeking to know God. And without saying it, he says, but all of these shrines and all of this pantheon of God's you're not going to know God by going down this path. But you do have an altar in the midst of this pantheon, in the midst of all these shrines, in the midst of these hills. There's this altar to this unknown God. I want to tell you who that unknown God is. I want to announce the unknown God. People were worshiping God's. The gods of, of the Greeks, the gods of the, of the Romans required houses and they required service by humans. The gods of the Romans and the Greeks required humans to, to, to think, well, what, what, would he, what would they look like? So then human art and imagination created statues and idols but not the unknown God. Paul says, I'm proclaiming the God to you that you can know. There, in this one paragraph, I mean, if this is all you knew of the New Testament, it is enough for you to have a really wonderful relationship with God. He starts out and says, this unknown God, he's the creator From one, I mean literally, from one, God created every race of humanity. Every human has been created by the same God. He also created the earth for all of humanity. And he set the boundaries of existence so there's been no human that has shown up on the earth without, going, without God assigning a time and a place for that human to live. He's the God that provides life and breath and everything for all of humanity to live. This is the unknown God. He is the Lord, both of heaven and in earth, he is near so that humanity might search for God in the hope that they might grope and find him. 
I think in that Paul is saying, the reason I can commend you for all of the gods around here is because it's evidence that you're searching, you're groping, you're hoping to find this unknown God. This God, the unknown God that I know, that I'm proclaiming to you in him. In him we live and move and have our being. In God we live and move and have our being. Two ways to think of that. One's causative. Because of God we live and we move and we are. The other's relationship. Only by relationship to the creator God, whether we know him or don't know him, we live, we move, we exist right now because of God, not because of ourselves. And we, as the Greek poet said, are descended from him. We are the children of God. Because of that revelation that Paul puts in the words, there comes then this statement, the time of ignorance is over. The time of not knowing God for all of humanity is over. Because that God now commands, he commands that all people everywhere change their mind. Change their mind because of the gift of his son Jesus. For he is fixed a day on which he will judge the whole world in justice by the standard of a man whom he has appointed. And guess what that judgment is going to be about? It's not our deeds. So do we know God or don't know God? Do you know me or don't know me? I mean, it's just that. Do you know me or don't you know me? And as a guarantee that that day is coming, he's raised this man from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that a day is coming where every one of us is going to be asked by our Creator, do you know me? And my hope today is that every one of us can say, yes, I know God. I don't know about Him. I'm learning about Him. There's still more I want to know about Him. But do I know? I know Him. As much as I know my mother... As much as I know my father, as much as I know my brother, my sister, as much as I know my wife, as much as I know my kids, as much as I know my friends, I have a relationship with God. I know him. That question is going to be asked. And it's good for us to be able to answer it, yes, I know you. And actually God will say, I know, because I know you. And we've lived in relationship with each other. 
through the years. The resurrection is the guarantee that that day is coming. The resurrection is also the guarantee that God can be made known. That we can know God personally, be related to him. The resurrection of the dead caused several reactions of the philosophers in Greece. Some of them mocked and scoffed and sneered, laughed and walked away. Baloney. Can't be. No way. By doing that, they also dismissed knowing God. You can't know God and dismiss the resurrection of Jesus. Others? What's, you know, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> could, could you come back? I mean, can we go over this again? I mean, I'm curious. This is really different from anything we've talked about before. So would you come back? Let's have another conversation. And then others. That day changed their mind. They changed their mind about God's They changed their mind about Jesus. They changed their mind about resurrection. They entered into relationship. I know God. I now believe. Now, as you and I kind of live in that history, know that that's kind of our foundation, it leads me to ask us as a community of people following Jesus a few questions. And the first one has to do with how how do we relate to the religious people in our city. I know me, and I know that I'm tempted to look down upon the religious. I know me well enough to know that because I know God, I have a relationship with God, that sometimes I look at the religious and I condemn them. And I make fun of what they do. This passage does not allow me to do that. What I think Paul could do, and I think what the Holy Spirit in Paul would then encourage us, is that we can enter into friendship with religious people because they are at least seeking to know God. And if we could enter into conversation without condemnation, if we could kind of commend them, you know, it's good that you're interested. You're at least seeking. You're, you're groping maybe. Maybe you're grabbing on different straws. But at least if you keep doing it, maybe you're going to latch on to the, to the true God. And if I were your friend, I could tell you about that God. So we can become friends as Paul became friends and introduced people to God. But then as I think about that, I begin to think, well, how well are we doing with kind of sorting out religion and relationship? When you begin to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't know God, do you talk about Jesus or do you talk about going to church?
Do we have a message about inviting people to meetings or do we have a message about Jesus? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get, I don't, don't put the pressure on me. Don't like get somebody here and thinking that I'm going to introduce them to Jesus. Going to church, what's that? Going to meet, what is that? It's the result of knowing Jesus. So, do, yeah, I mean, do I, do, I, do I like Sunday? Yeah, I love Sunday mornings. Why? Because it's an opportunity for me to relate to Jesus with those that know Jesus. So are we, are we, can, do we, can we sort out what our religious practices are from our relationship with Jesus? I have a relationship with Jesus on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday during the day and at night all the time. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm living in relationship with Jesus. Are we inviting others to enter into relationship with God, that God who is near, and the God who wants to be known? The message, the message has a way. God's not playing hide or seek with anybody. I mean, God plays hide and seek like my grandkids do. You know, I'm going to go hide. I mean, my kids, want, they want to be found. God wants to be found. He doesn't want to be secret. That's why he made a big splash in human history, to be known. I want to be known. I want you to know me. So you see the time of ignorance, the time of unknowing, the time of not being related, not knowing I'm related, not knowing this personal God, that time's over. It's over. And it's time for all of us to change our mind about God, to change our mind about Jesus, to change our mind about resurrection. It's time to find relationship with God on God's terms. And one of God's terms is that you and I, as I look around the room, I can't see into your heart. And I don't know everybody's story in the room. Some of you I do. I do. But part of God's terms is that you and I that know Jesus are supposed to introduce other people to Jesus. So God is made known by you and me sharing our story and inviting others to follow Jesus with us. Without that, I mean, we're going to have, we're going to have, I mean, he, God's going to be introducing himself. I mean, there's places on our globe we've talked about that. God's introducing himself without us to other people. But by and large, what God really wants 
is he wants you and I introducing people to Jesus. When was the last time we had a conversation with somebody that was seeking in order to find? Could we, like, maybe pray that our ears would be open? That we'd have a sense of the people around us? Can I make one other, one other plea? In those conversations, do not invite that person to church. If you invite that person to church without talking to that person about following Jesus, you're going to confuse that person. Because people need to know Jesus. They don't need to know about attending church. They need to know Jesus before they understand what the church is. Did you notice Paul didn't ask anybody at the Areopagus to come to a church meeting with him? He's proclaiming Jesus. I want you to know the living one. So would you like to stand with me? Today is a reminder of something that we agreed to do this year. At the beginning of the year... Those of us that were together at the beginning of the year, if you weren't with us at the beginning of the year, if you're off the hook, but we're going to up it today. We all agreed that we would like to invite one other person this year, the whole this year, to follow Jesus with us. This is a time to remember that. <laughs> Jesus, this morning we're celebrating that this time of ignorance, this time of not knowing, it's over. You could go, you could go to some of the analogies. You know, the, the, the curtain was, was ripped in two and pulled back. You made yourself known. God, as I think back about my own life, you made yourself known to me. I wasn't attending church. I wasn't reading my Bible. At the time, I didn't have a single friend that I knew of that knew you. That knew you. you introduced yourself to me through others that told me your story. The time of ignorance is over. The time of not knowing you is over. I thank you that you have entered human history in such a loud way. <laughs> that there'll be no human being on the final day that can say, well, I, I, I didn't know. 
From your perspective, the time of ignorance is over. And those that seek to find will find you. But Lord, my desire, my hope, my prayer from our time this morning is that each one of us would be reminded of who you are, how you've entered our lives, how our lives have improved, how we're better people because of who you are. That we have a relationship with you. In the darkness of the night, we could talk to you. You're right there. In the joys and the sorrows of life, we, we celebrate with you. You're our best friend. And Lord, I think all of us know that there's all sorts of people around us that don't know you. Some are religious, some are not. But Holy Spirit, what I would ask is that you would empower us as a, uh, as a group of people who go out into our communities and we, and we just listen and we just hear <laughs> when it's time for us to begin to talk about. Not Christian values, not the church, not Bible study. We talk about you. I pray that you would give us the opportunity to invite at least one other human being to follow you with us this year. I ask you, I really ask you to activate that in all of our lives because I know that's what you want. You want people to know you in personal relationship. Here we are, Lord. Use us in that process. In your name I pray.